On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill up the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Well, it's good to see you this, this Sabo. Good morning. <laughs> Everyone loves laughs, and we're all about laughs. <laughs> good to see you, Lasavo. Uh, I'll add my welcome to Ryan's. It's really good to see you here. As Ryan said, especially if it's your first time to Uni Bible Talks, really glad to have you here. You're in the right place. We're here. We can meet one another. Uh, that's fantastic. Love to get to know you. Join us for lunch, as he said. Um, have a few laughs for sure. But glad for each one of us to meet the God who made you who made each one of us in the Bible, his very words to us. It's the third of our public talks we've had this week, and I've been saying each time that we're going to be up front with you all the time, I hope, at Uni Bible Group. So ask us any question. There's no topic that's off limits. And some people can't believe that's true. And hopefully you see that we're transparent in all that we do, um, which is why I actually want to begin the same way by saying we're going to be upfront about how we'll end this talk. At the end of today's talk, I'll invite you to respond to what you hear from God by actually talking to him, by praying to him. And if you look at the big part of your paper now, not the small one that you've happily torn off, but the big part, the words of the prayer are there for you to read through now. We're being upfront about that. They're not magical, mysterious words. We hope they're not manipulative for you today. Um, We're being upfront that God requires a response. And secondly now, I'm going to pray for us up front now. Uh, Not magical words, but we need God's help to understand him. So you might like to bow your heads. Uh, I'll lead us in a short prayer. Let's pray. God and Father, thank you that you care for all that you've made and you give all that we need for life. Thank you that you care for us such that you speak to us and want us to know your goodness. So help us know you as we hear you speak now in the Bible. Help us respond to your son Jesus knowingly and help me speak only what's true to your word. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, up front, who am I? I was born on the 22nd of September 1993 
in Australia to a mixed family of a Chinese father and, yes, that's right, Chinese father and Aussie mother. It's not me and I'm not having a memory. <laughs> I wish I was that young. September 93, Chinese dad, Aussie mum. I was raised in Sydney on a good education, later attending UNSW. I'm now a comedian and social media entertainer. I have 2.5 million followers on Facebook. I'm perhaps best and most well-known in Australia as that Nick Kyrgios heckler. Nothing? Yes. Well done. Well done. If I had a minty, it would be to you. I can't believe it. Only one person in a room of, I don't know, 80-odd. That's, that's somewhat telling. Yes, I am, of course, Jamie Zoo. Social media entertainer. Come on, of course, yes. Yes. He polarised the country in January this year. Second round, men's singles, Australian Open match, High Sense Arena. Kyrgios, fun dude, but serious dude, playing tennis, about to serve, and as you need in tennis to hear the ball, and you need silence. So there's silence. And then this young man brazenly stands up and films himself, you can see him in the, he's right in the front row, films himself making a sex noise and just continues amidst all the jeers and the whistles of the audience. And later he's interviewed on A Current Affair saying, one of my online fans dared me to do it. Now, not many people in the crowd, I can say, were laughing at the time. Mostly it was booed and whistled until he was escorted out. But that just makes it even better online content, doesn't it? Because his audience are not the tennis audience. His audience are the online fans. So you could say he encapsulates a generation of YOLO. Yeah? Yeah. Live your truth. It's a pop philosophy that's seen all the way to the highest office. The President of the United States, Donald Trump, does not care for protocol when it comes to his tweets, does he? Now, Katie Tour, a journalist for the NBC, she was the only national journalist who was assigned to follow Trump from day one of his presidential campaign. Now, that's telling, is it not? None of the other media organisations assigned any national journalist but NBC and Katie Tour. And since she was there from day one, she's now published a book and interviewed widely, she says he feels no shame, no contradictions. And she says of her nation, the worst change in the USA is the acceptance of lies. End quote. Such that post-truth Post-truth was the 2016 International Dictionary Word of the Year. From Jamie Zhu to President Trump and anyone in between, our online lols actually belie a deep-seated pain. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, says a proverb. And it seems the hearts of many are aching. The NAB National Wellbeing Index is at its lowest since it started being measured in 2013. The survey asks a representative sample of 2,000 Australians how they think and feel about life. June's quarterly results were the lowest in five years because of high anxiety and a lack of time. 
a lack of time. Now, that might be hard for you to believe because you're at the number one uni for student experience, says that banner, <laughs> and we have well-being tents and a well-being hub with that thing that pulls over you and all that well-being. But it does seem to reflect this prevailing worldview in the West and in Australia of pleasure pain, a pleasure pain worldview. What's that? Okay, one writer, one writer says the way to test which worldview resonates is to ask who is your inner voice? Who is your inner voice? Okay, cultures of guilt innocence. Guilt innocence cultures, which has actually been a long-held Aussie culture. And Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister, actually identified rule of law as one of our Aussie values, our five Aussie values, rule of law. So while it was once long held, but guilt innocence has a voice of an inner lawyer and the inner lawyer says, don't do that. It's wrong. You'll get caught. Okay? Cultures of honour shame have an inner grandmother, maybe in the East. Now, I'm half Asian, so I think I can say this. Maybe in the East. The inner grandmother says, oh, the shame of it. You can never look me in the face again. Inner grandmother. And it runs deep. Cultures of fear power don't have an inner lawyer or an inner grandmother, but an inner demon. An inner demon that was once prevalent in the West. And the inner demon says, fear me or I'll get you. But the pleasure, po pleasure pain culture has none of these three, but rather has an inner therapist. And the inner therapist says, go for it. You're worth it. Whatever makes you feel good. Whatever makes you happy. And if you put a sticker or saw our poster at the pancake stall or the barbecue yesterday, happiness is number one for life's goal of students at UOW. Whose voice wins? Eh? Whose voice wins? In the case of Jamie Zhu, it's not the tennis audience. It's not you're in a lawyer. They'll get you. Who cares? It's his online audience and the inner therapist do what feels good. Jordan Peterson is another online sensation, a bit older and wiser maybe. He's a philosopher from Canada. And he argues that for all our differences, the one truth we can all agree on is pain. So moving away from what makes you feel bad, your own personal hell, as he describes it, that's what matters. But others argue that's just adding fuel to the problem. Post-truth, live your truth, relative truth. If life only has the meaning to which you assign it and you no longer see any meaning anymore, what happens? Well, it's despair. It's emptiness. The hearts of many are aching, friends. Is there an objective truth? An objective truth, a voice that cuts through all the different voices, whether you're surfing the wave of pleasure or being tossed around in the barrels of waves of pain. Jesus' voice cuts through. Now, our text today, which you have printed, and please have it open in front of you, is from John's Gospel. John was kind of like a Katie tour of Jesus following him since day one of his public life and ministry. 
And so we can trust his account because Jesus has actually chosen him for the very task. It's no small role he has. And what we have before us is a party scene. You! Party scene. Wedding celebration. Look at sentence number one with me. John chapter two, sentence one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells me. <coughs> really interesting, isn't it? But it's the wedding reception, okay? It's the wedding reception, lots of laughs, lots of wine befitting the occasion. Now, Jesus' mother is the first guest described, and that's pretty interesting. Maybe it's a family wedding because she's the one who goes and does this organising with Jesus when it runs out, and Jesus is there with his disciples. Now, I'm an Aussie, and it seems like... At least this wedding is nothing like weddings we know in Australia today, okay? So most weddings like that I've been to are kind of like this one on the left, uh, maybe 100 to 150 reception guests. Uh, maybe they end at 1am ballpark, okay? Now, a Brazilian friend of mine who's a PhD student at this uni, she said in Brazil, all wedding receptions at least go through till sunrise. <laughs> so that's how you party. Okay, but this one in Cana in Galilee is probably more like a wedding reception in India. Now, I've got some friends, graduates of UOW, their wedding in India went for a whole week. <laughs> now, that is how you party, isn't it? That's feasting and celebrating, that's the wedding party. But so that's probably what this one resembles more. But we're told of a crisis, and what is that crisis? The wine runs out. And this is more, even though we've got a drinking culture in Australia, this is much more than us Aussies might know. No wine is a massive problem, a massive shame upon the groom himself. The groom is responsible for the whole party. And we see it, if you look at sentence 9 and 10, the master of the feast, who's like the floor manager or the chief server, he goes to tell the groom off for serving the good wine at the end. That's not how you do it. So no wine brings massive shame to him. If he can't provide wine at a wedding, how can he possibly provide for his bride? Now, we're not told about how many people know about the crisis. We aren't told if there's an inner grandmother in the groom going, oh, my young man, that is such shame. But we're told about Mary's reaction. They have no wine. And it's a weird interplay between Jesus and his mother, and I'm happy to talk about it more. But the opaque language of Jesus, when he says, my hour has not yet come, that we've got to return to. But there's no reason to think that Mary expected Jesus to just pop up a miracle. Come on, give us a miracle. It seems she's just asking him as a dependable son for his help and quite possibly that she's widowed. You can ask me about that later too. Three things are quite clear, okay? The wine's run out and so there's massive shame on the groom. Secondly, Jesus has been asked to somehow help by his mother who's told the servants do whatever he wants, whatever he says. 
And thirdly, Jesus is reluctant to help because his hour has not yet come. Okay? To put it in our worldview language, the pleasure has ended and there's only pain ahead. Point number two, the wine flows freely. Now, if I asked you about this story or someone asked you, what did you hear in uh, the Uni Bible talk today? You say, Jesus, what a boss. He steps in, produces wine from water. Amazing. We'll all toast that, get Jesus down to, every, to Uni Bar and every pub across the country. <laughs> Three cheers for Jesus. Yeah, but that's not the full story. Don't leave this room thinking Jesus turns water into wine only because you miss the point completely. And actually, you will be shamed. A month ago, my wife asked me what I want for dinner on my birthday. She's a good wife. <laughs> and I'm a simple man. Uh, two of my favourite foods are Vietnamese and Lebanese. Vietnamese, Lebanese, I'm not, I don't have any connection to either of those great, great nations. <laughs> Vietnamese and Lebanese food, Why? Because I reckon with those two, you always get two things. Yes, quality and quantity. <laughs> quality and quantity. Now, I'm going to be a bit dangerous here and say that maybe Chinese restaurants in Australia that maybe have been ossified a bit, I reckon you get quantity, but you might not always get the quality. Oh, I can't believe I said that. I'm not <laughs> so much shame to me. And now the hatted restaurants in Australia, you know, the fancy restaurants, blokes, you know it, it's true. You might get quality, but come on, you don't get quantity. You get the plate, but you don't get quantity. <laughs> They're not tricking us. Um, you can ask me later what I chose for birthday dinner. <laughs> to be at this wedding feast in Cana with Jesus, you get quality and you get quantity fit for heaven itself. Firstly, let's look at quantity. And did you see it? <coughs> sentence number six. Look at sentence number six. There was a man sent from God whose name... Hey, I'm in chapter one. Sentence six. <laughs> sentence six. Now there, were, now there were six stone jars, six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, how much is that? How much quantity? 20 or 30 gallons. Picture a bathtub. Your average bathtub holds about 80 litres. Now, stand that bathtub on its end, which is getting towards the size of these purification jars. They're massive. And so line uh, five bathtubs in a row, and that's the equivalent of these six massive jars lined up. And you've got the equivalent of... Yeah, it's huge. And when Jesus says, fill them with water, that meant going to the well and drawing water and then filling them up right up top to the brim. Now, let's keep reading from sentence eight. And I just want you to, I'm going against the grain of the text, but I just want you to see how casually the miracle itself is described by John. Okay, look with me from sentence eight, and I'll read the right chapter. <laughs> And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. 
when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. But when people, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Do you see it? The water turning into wine is described almost in passing. When the master of the feast tasted it, now they go, of course, of course that's what happened. Obviously. But it's because there's more going on than just lols and just a party trick. And for that, we need to go to the second of my two favourites, quality. Because we don't just have the equivalent of hundreds of <coughs> premium wine, hundreds of bottles, but it's the best stuff that you impress your guests at the start of the celebrations before everyone's drunk. Now, in sentence 10, when it says everyone had drunk freely, it's actually just glossing over it a bit. They're gone. They're actually totally <laughs> inebriated, intoxicated. And the floor manager, not knowing where this good drop has come from, he goes off at the groom again. We saw it, stuffing up the order. Mate, good wine at the end. So where's this all heading? Is Jesus just promoting lols and drunkenness? You know, he's all about the party is always with Jesus, like you hear people say. And actually, we're not told if the guests had drunk the place dry. It could actually be that the groom did fail and has brought shame. But the meaning, we've got to look at two other words, hour and glory. Remember before in sentence four, it seems like Jesus, he's reluctant to help because his hour has not yet come. So there's something bigger in mind. There's an hour that's ahead. And we see it later on when the hour has come. Chapter 12 is on the screen, and I'll read it for you. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man, that's himself, to be glorified. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What's this hour? What's the trouble? I meet people who think Jesus is a rock star. He doesn't face any trouble on earth. Turns water into wine. He heals. He raises the dead. No trouble. But at this hour, he's troubled to his soul. What's going on? Let's go into the next chapter, 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How does he love them to the end? Friends, the troubling hour Jesus speaks of is the hour of his death nailed to a cross. This is the reason he was sent into the world by God his Father. To die. I prayed at the start that God who cares for all he's made, he cares for each one of us. Each one of you sitting in this room, he cares for. Each one made in his very image. You're made in the image of God. That's where your dignity and meaning derives. Yet each one of us fails to love our maker. 
Instead, we'll rebel and with the other hand, take all the good things, all the lols, all the food, all the wine, all the relationships, all the parties, all the good things that come from his hand and go, no, stuff you. We decide for ourselves what is good and pleasurable without him. Post-truth was a thing way before 2016. Post-truth was a thing from the very beginning. Since Adam and Eve and each one of us, we all decide for ourselves our own truth and reject the God who made us and knows and gives what's good. And the Bible calls it sin. Sin, people want to downplay it always and People think it's trivial, the equivalent of <coughs> indulging in decadent desserts. <coughs> but sin is relational, and it's ignoring the true and living God. It is hugely serious. And for this God, who cares very deeply, will give us our just desserts. The good times, friends, will end in death. It might be suddenly, or it might be slowly, but death as penalty. And it's not just that. There is the second death of a very real hell, of which Jesus himself teaches the most. It's not Hell is not a man-made construct, like Jordan Peterson might say. And it's certainly not where the party is. The highway to hell, Akadaka, is not a good thing. In hell, says Jesus, is only weeping and great, great pain. As punishment just deserves for taking life's pleasures without God. The lols will stop, friends. And it'll be a much worse crisis than no wine for them. And to get a glimpse of its reality, look and listen again to Jesus' troubled soul at his hour of death. For Jesus died on the cross to in fact take our punishment on himself and so save us from this very real hell. It's amazing news indeed. And it's seen perhaps in the most famous verse of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the world opposed to him, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish in hell, but have eternal life. We're not sugarcoating it. I said we're trying to be transparent in everything. Friends, it's a matter of death forever or life forever. Will you believe in Jesus who died to save your body and soul? Sentence 11, we're told the disciples did. They believed in him. 
But actually it's seen, we're not told about the servants. They know that Jesus is the one who's turned the water into wine. The master didn't. But we're not told what their response is. But if you were to read John's Gospel with us, you would see again and again many people who see many of Jesus' miracles firsthand refuse to believe. Many laughed at Jesus at his hour of death. Jesus was why they laughed. They could wear a hoodie. And friends, in this world, on this campus, maybe in your life, Jesus is why many laugh in mockery. But how will you respond? How will you respond? Will you walk out of here saying, Jesus turned water into wine? But that's it. If you do that without believing him, you remain under his judgment. Will you believe in Jesus? We've seen the miracle wasn't just a party trick, pointing forward to his death, but it also points forward even further to a wedding feast that lasts not just till sunrise, not even for a week, but into eternity. I'm just going to read from a few verses in the Old Testament part of the Bible, uh, uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, from verse 6. And maybe, let's be a bit cute here, maybe like you're drinking a nice glass of wine or you have a coffee and they talk about the notes that you taste. <laughs> you know the notes? It's all that fancy stuff, I think. <laughs> As I read these verses, see if you can taste the notes. Isaiah 25. Isaiah the prophet. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Unlike the groom at the wedding in Cana who failed, Jesus does not fail. He provides rich wine that points forward to his death, a death that in fact swallows up death forever if you trust him. And so he makes life for all who believe in his name. The banquet doesn't end, friends, till sunrise to the week, because there is no death. That's why Christians laugh, or perhaps even rejoice. Jesus is why we laugh. Jesus is why we laugh, for we'll feast forever with him.
the invitation to the wedding feast is what we offer you today. Amidst all the voices competing for dominance, the inner lawyer, right or wrong, the inner grandmother, the inner demon, the inner therapist seems to be winning in the West today, is winning in Australia today, is certainly from our responses, hundreds of responses this week, winning at UOW today. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. You're worth it. But friends, the lulls and pleasure without God who gives them will end in the worst crisis imaginable. Accept Jesus' voice. Listen to him and trust him who died and rose again to save your soul. Whether you're a pleasure-seeking millennial or one of the most materially rich, the baby boomers, or an online or a real-life celebrity with the world at your feet but such emptiness in reality, or a refugee with nothing in the world and no home to go to, will you believe in Jesus as we wait for the feast forever with him? If you'd like to respond by believing Jesus, you can do that now. And it's in the way that I indicated at the start, by praying the prayer that you have on your page. What we're going to do, I'm going to read it through just one line at a time. And if you want to make it your prayer to God, you can repeat each line quietly in your heart and know that he hears you. And maybe Ryan, could I get you to just close that door for us? Just to... Be free from distraction. Perhaps that's all about our heads, and I'll lead us in this prayer line by line, if you'd like to repeat quietly. Heavenly Father, I admit with shame that I've lived my own way. I've taken all the good things you give in life whilst rejecting you. Forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you he didn't avoid that hour, but took the punishment I deserved. Help me live for Jesus from now on as my Saviour and King. Until he returns or takes me home to feast forever with him. Amen. If you did pray that prayer and mean it for the first time, then appropriately today is a day for laughter and celebrating. So please don't leave today without telling one of us. And as Ryan's indicated, you can do that on the slip that you've torn off. But if you've been invited to come with a Christian friend, please let them know. If you've got questions, ask any one of us uh, with a hoodie, ask a friend. But we'd love to help you live with Jesus together as we wait to that day where we feast forever. So at the very least, please 
maybe all of us indicate uh, on the response paper, even that you are here, or any comments, um, and uh, I'll hand back to Ryan or someone else who's going to lead us for the prayer.